operator's arms. Normally, however, you keep your hands drawn inside the suit, working the manual controls in front of your chest. As soon as I'd settled down inside my very exclusive spacecraft, I switched on power and checked the gauges on the tiny instrument panel. There's a magic word, FORB, that you'll often hear spacemen mutter as they climb into their suits. It reminds them to test fuel, oxygen, radio, batteries. All my needles were well in the safety zone, so I lowered the transparent hemisphere over my head and sealed myself in. For a short trip like this, I did not bother to check the suit's internal lockers, which were used to carry food and special equipment for extended missions. As the conveyor belt decanted me into the airlock, I felt like an Indian papoose being carried along on its mother's back. Then the pumps brought the pressure down to zero, the outer door opened, and the last traces of air swept me out into the stars turning very slowly head over heels. The station was only a dozen feet away, yet I was now an independent planet, a little world of my own. I was sealed up in a tiny, mobile cylinder with a superb view of the entire universe, but I had practically no freedom of movement inside the suit. The padded seat and safety belts prevented me from turning around, though I could reach all the controls and lockers with my hands or feet. In space... The great enemy is the sun, which can blast you to blindness in seconds. Very cautiously, I opened up the dark filters on the night side of my suit, and I turned my head to look out at the stars. At the same time, I switched the helmet's external sunshade to automatic, so that whichever way the suit gyrated, my eyes would be shielded from that intolerable glare. Presently, I found my target, a bright fleck of silver whose metallic glint distinguished it clearly from the surrounding stars. I stamped on the jet control pedal and felt the mild surge of acceleration as the low-powered rockets set me moving away from the station. After ten seconds of steady thrust, I estimated that my speed was great enough and cut off the drive. It would take me five minutes to coast the rest of the way and not much longer to return with my salvage. And it was at that moment, as I launched myself out into the abyss, that I knew something was horribly wrong. It is never completely silent inside a spacesuit. You can always hear the gentle hiss of oxygen, the faint whir of fans and motors, the susurration of your own breathing, even if you listen carefully enough the rhythmic thump that is the pounding of your heart. These sounds reverberate through the suit, unable to escape into the surrounding void. They are the unnoticed background of life in space, for you are aware of them only when they change. They had changed now. To them had been added a sound which I could not identify. It was an intermittent, muffled thudding, sometimes accompanied by a scraping noise as of metal on metal. I froze instantly, holding my breath and trying to locate the alien sound with my ears. The meters on the control board gave me no clues. All the needles were rock-steady on their scales, and there were none of the flickering red lights that would warn of impending disaster. That was some comfort, but not much. I had long ago learned to trust my instincts in such matters. Their alarm signals were flashing now, telling me to return to the station before it was too late. Even now, I do not like to recall those next few minutes as panic slowly flooded into my mind like a rising tide, overwhelming the dams of reason and logic which every man must erect against the mystery of the universe. I knew then what it was like to face insanity. No other explanation fitted the facts. For 
It was no longer possible to pretend that the noise disturbing me was that of some faulty mechanism. Though I was in utter isolation, far from any other human being or indeed any material object, I was not alone. The soundless void was bringing to my ears the faint but unmistakable stirrings of life. In that first heart-freezing moment it seemed that something was trying to get into my suit, something invisible seeking shelter from the cruel and pitiless vacuum of space. I whirled madly in my harness, scanning the entire sphere of vision around me except for the blazing, forbidden cone toward the sun. There was nothing there, of course, there could not be. Yet that purposeful scrabbling was clearer than ever. Despite the nonsense that has been written about us, it is not true that spacemen are superstitious. But can you blame me if, as I came to the end of logic's resources, I suddenly remembered how Bernie Summers had died, no farther from the station than I was, at this very moment? It was one of those...